Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Hello, this is Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Jazz Shapers is where the shapers of jazz, soul and blues meet the shapers of business. And our business shaper is usually someone who has built their empire their way. My business shaper today is George Wood, the creator of the Lunar Cinema. George was a TV presenter and actor, but 10 years ago, at the age of 27, founded the Lunar Cinema, which now celebrates its 10th anniversary. It's the country's leading producer of open-air cinema events whose screenings follow one simple formula. Classic film on a big screen in a beautiful or prestigious setting. George and the Lunar's story follows for the next 50 minutes or so here on Jazz Shapers. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you for coming, George. Not at all. Thanks for having me. What's a lunatic idea like that popping out of your head? How did it happen? Tell me a little bit about where this notion of doing outdoor cinema for a living, because in the past, many of us have done things outdoors and it's a one-off little thing, but you have created a business. Why? This is true, and it is a lunatic idea. There have been countless times when I've been stood in a wet field showing a film to 12 people thinking... Whose idea was this? How did I get here? Uh, but you know what? It really was like all these ideas that turn out to be, um, I suppose you'd say, great ideas. Uh, it was only ever meant to be a hobby. It was only ever meant to be something that would fill a, a bit of time in the summer. I was an actor and there was never any work in the summer. Um, I'd always think, oh, I'll get work again in September or October. But July and August was always quiet. And every actor knows that. Um, I'd seen an open air cinema in Australia. I'd been over to Sydney the first time ever I'd been sat in this incredible setting watching a film under the stars and I said to all all my Aussie mates this is incredible why don't we have this in England and of course they all said because your weather's rubbish mate they didn't say the word rubbish Um, and I turned around and said fair point that I can't argue with the fact that our summers are known for being hit and miss however I sat there and I kept thinking, why don't we do this, actually? This is a brilliant way to watch a film. Um, so sociable, so communal. Yeah, everyone was having a beer and everyone was having a picnic. Everything about it was so different to what was the cinema experience that I was used to, which was the multiplex. We're going back 10 years. That was all there really was. These great little boutique cinemas that we have these days with great wine lists and comfortable seating didn't really exist back then. Um so I, it was always there in the back of my head. I never did anything about it, as we always do. You have these ideas, you never get around to making them happen. Two years later, I'm back in London acting. Um, I was knocked off my scooter going in to do a show in the West End. Um, it was I was only going 10 miles an hour, and it was one of those things where you think, how on earth have, have I broken my leg? But I did. And the doctor said, it's a yeah really bad break. You're going to be off work for five or six months. And I remember lying in my hospital bed in Camberwell in South London, thinking well, this is the time. This is the opportunity. I've been waiting. This is now. I'm going to do my open air cinema idea. So from my hospital bed with my leg up in the air, probably far too much morphine going around my system, I picked up the phone and I rang my local park, which was Dulwich Park in South London. And I said, have you ever had open air cinema? They said, we do open air theatre, but we've never done open air cinema before. Um, what is that what you do then? And I said, yep, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> Never done it before in my life, but I'd seen it. So I had an idea. Um, And so the cut long story short, that summer we started and I rented a screen. We showed a film in the local park and I knew 
instantly. I, I, it's not, it wasn't one of those ideas that I thought, oh, there's something in this. I wonder if I can make this work. I knew instantly that that was it. This is what I was going to do. It was so popular. It sold out. It was a fantastic night. It, we got lucky with the weather. We were showing Some Like It Hot, the greatest comedy ever, I still think. So everything about it was right. And I thought, this is now what I'm going to do. And I've never acted since, thank goodness, because I was a useless actor. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually is, you're right, it was a lunatic idea, but 10 years on, I still love it just as much as I did the first time I experienced it myself. It's one thing pulling it off once, though, and I want to go back to that. You know, you said in, uh, from your hospital bed, yes, that's what I do, and it's brilliant. It's the, the presumed clothes, I am the man. Oh, my name's yeah. George, you must know me. If you don't know me, watch this happen. Brilliant first night, and, and, I, and I remember when I ran my first nightclub night at university, I got it right once. And that was it. I did get it right once. I got hundreds yeah. of people to come. After you did it once, how did you then go about doing what people have to do in a business, the nuts and bolts, working out what worked, what didn't work operationally? How many times did it take before you went, yes, this is going to work? Apart from the passionate feel that you had on night one. Yeah, uh, countless times is the honest answer. It was not something that was, there was no guidebook, there was no yeah, rule book. We didn't know what we were doing because nobody had ever done it. Um, this country was so far behind other countries when it came to open air cinema that I didn't feel that there was a model that I was going to follow. Um, I didn't feel that there was um, a cultural wave that I had to ride. It felt like we should develop this event, um, get it as good as we can and learn as we go. And we really did learn as we go because the next year, so after that first screening, the next year I'd invested my limited life savings in an inflatable screen. Um, I only found out afterwards that the guy who invented the inflatable screen had only actually um, patented it and created this thing you know, bef just before I was ringing him up saying, I hear you got inflatable screens. He said, yeah, I'm the... Yeah, I'm that's the, what I do. I'm, I'm the inflatable the, screen guy. That's he did, it. He did what you do. <laughs> he literally did. <laughs> he probably did blag it, actually, yeah. Um, but no, this this guy in Germany was... He said, oh, funnily enough, you're the first person from the UK to ring me up. I've sold these screens to other countries. But yeah, I can sort you out an inflatable screen. Um I said, great, I'll buy one. Uh, and it gave us the edge because before that, open air cinema had always been scaffolding frames and big old installs, whereas an inflatable screen was low impact on the site. You could get a huge screen surface within 45 minutes it takes us to put these screens up. So it was um, quickly evident to me that actually we could develop a model that others were bound to be able to follow. I was aware that that was going to happen, but that if we got in quick, we could develop this event. And I thought there was a commercial aspect to it. Um, as it turned out, of course, what you alluded to is completely correct. The next year we were uh, trying to sell tickets to these events. Not always easy to sell tickets when you're from a complete standing start. We had no database. We had no marketing background. We were working with venues who occasionally had a few uh, letter, you know, we were going back to mail drop kind of you know, days where they would say, yeah, give us a leaflet and we'll, and I used to stand out on the street corners giving out leaflets. That's how it started. And I would go up the high street and see if any local shop would want to take an on the big screen it was really was starting from scratch in that respect um, and then the weather became a factor of course you know the first year we did it we had a couple of where I used to say to people should we be cancelling should we actually is this a really bad experience when it's raining and I very quickly thought this is this is a decision that I'm going to have to stick with forever mm. um, and I could get this wrong if I make us weather dependent where every time it rains we say sorry guys that's it you get your money back or come another night 
There's no business. That is a hobby. So I'm hoping you've got lunar umbrellas that you just hand out with a big bit of branding. Well, and if not, why not? <laughs> and if you do them, I want to cut. Better than that, because ah. the um, the problem with umbrellas is that it knocks the view out for the people behind. Of course it does. Yeah. So, and we quickly, this again, we only learned by doing it <laughs> and realising that, okay, here's a mistake. How do we get this better? And so actually ponchos is the secret. We give out ah. free ponchos on arrival. We tell the audience in advance that it will always go ahead. They can rely on us that when they book this ticket, regardless of the weather, it will happen. It's only if it were to be unsafe for them to be there that we would cancel. And let me ask you, we're going to come back to a bunch of stuff, um, but 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 let me ask you, right now, um, turnover of £3 million plus, how many people work in the business? Team of 12 people are fully employed. Um, the team expands during the season, obviously, with so, so up to how, about how, 60. Up to about 60, So from tw- and that's not bad considering you had that standing start. And there's lots more coming up from my business shape at George Wood in a few minutes. But in the meantime, and this is pertinent to the point that uh, George just touched on about part-time staff and so on, in the meantime, it's time to hear a little excerpt from the second in the occasional series that we have of our podcast called The News Sessions. And on this occasion, Paddy O'Connell talks to a Mishkondorea partner on an incredibly hot topic, not just for the lunar cinema, but generally, and that's... That is called the gig economy. The news sessions with Paddy O'Connell in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Just FM. Hello. These are the news sessions. I'm Paddy O'Connell. Today we're talking about Uber drivers, bike couriers, food delivery people, plumbers and more. The same little app we use on our phone can be turned the other way to get us work. It's sometimes called the gig economy and it's all about the way We earn money in the modern age. There have been some blockbuster legal cases and here to discuss is Susanna Kintish. She represented one side in a case that hit the headlines and this has been her area of life as a lawyer for years. She's employment partner at Mishkonda Rea. Hello there, Susanna. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I mean, let's talk about work. Although it's so varied, we've got a million jobs in a million countries, is it really in the UK only three categories of employment? Is that the only way to see it? From- yeah, that's right. You've got your three separate um, three separate categories and they all attract different rights. So you've got one end of the spectrum, employees, the other end of the spectrum, people who are genuinely self-employed and in the middle, this category of worker. Right. So let's talk about employment. What kind of things delineates an employee? Well, this, this is the issue at the moment is that essentially employee worker and self-employed have all become points on a spectrum, which is why the courts have really struggled to to find very, very clearly which group of people fall into which category. Uh, so there aren't very, very defined boundaries between the three. But the boundaries have been slipping. Exactly. For all the reasons I was mentioning to do with the kind of gig economy, the app, the apps that make you get mini work and everything. Exactly. The world of work has changed yes. since the Employment Rights Act came in in 1996. You know, it was the year of the Spice Girls. Um, if you think about the way you worked way back then and the way people work today, it's very, very different. And the legislation, um, the courts have been trying to interpret the legislation to keep up with the changing world of work. The New Sessions podcast with Paddy O'Connell from Mishkondorea. Find more of the New Sessions podcasts dealing with key legal matters on iTunes. I hope you're enjoying today's programme. There are many more ways to hear this very programme, plus hundreds of former guests on the show. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers. So you have to say literally play Jazz Shapers. I found that out myself personally, and you can do the same. And there you can hear many of the recent programmes, including today's after 10am. Or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes, you'll get the full archive of programmes there as well. 
But back to my guest today, and that's George Wood, the man behind Luna Cinema. Um, we were talking about the weather, and you made a big and important decision, I think, to say, listen, we're in Britain, we can't be weather dependent. That's enabled you to put on how many shows in the last 10 years, if you actually counted? Can you do it? Oh, Is it thousands? Uh, it's thousands, yeah, because um, we, we're up to 175 um, screenings that we produce each summer. Of course, we do a lot of private hires around mm. that, but the actual Luna Cinema produced events, 175. So and we've been doing it 10 years so it's, it probably is a, somewhere around 1200 something like that and if you're iterating each time at some point you've obviously got the you've got the equation right you know how long it takes to put the inflatable thing up you know how where people need to sit you know the ponchos every, all that's done what then becomes the gig the, the game for you is it about finding more locations and more opportunities to see versus the event itself um a bit of that yeah i believe that it's about um Oh, yeah, if we can, if we can evolve this event, usually with the film choice, equally with the venue, if I, the, those are the levers that I have really to pull um, and to shape what we're offering the public. It really is a case of what film would you like to see in this space? And I spend most of the year when we're not active, when the weather's not good enough, um, looking at the next great space. Where would you want to watch a film? And then monitoring the films and saying, oh, God, wouldn't it be amazing if we watched if we saw, I don't know, Dunkirk on a beach or yeah, whatever it is that we're imagining would be a good idea. And then obviously it's then going through the logistics of it because I'm basic. My role as the business has developed is that I'm the ideas person. I come up with these ludicrous ideas. Then there's then a, a very sane <laughs> production team who say, just a minute, have you thought this through? <laughs> and, and who goes, if you wanted to film Dunkirk on a beach, who goes to the people that in that part of, uh, of England where you're going to have to get permission? Is it you or is it someone else? Yeah, it tends to be me initially. So I'll contact the council or the um, the management company of the venue or whatever it is, the trustees of a particular site, um, and say to them, look, this is what we do. Often these days, surprisingly, they come to us. Most people have heard about open air cinema. They Google it, or whatever. They they say, "Would you be considered this?" And actually, the danger is that there are some incredible venues that we don't get to because they're just we're so busy. Um, if it's a, an idea like that one, I'll approach the authority and say, "Can we do this?" We'll end up with a meeting, and very quickly, I've I've learned that we get the production team involved just to check the logistics of this to make sure this event actually works. Mm. Um, because the scale of the event means that if you get it wrong, you know, you you can do damage, you know, you, reputationally. And, you know, we, we've got to make sure that this event is run so smoothly that we do an awful lot of homework before we actually are pressing play on the film. And the creativity that you talk about, what would the, and your own, I can already tell in, in a few minutes, I've met you, you've got great energy and great passion for what you do and belief. What do the team say about George? What do you think they say? <laughs> do, you want the, do you want the truth? I want the truth. <laughs> oh, God, the number of times that I I know and I love it that they say, oh, what's he come up with now? You know, it's that. Um, but, you know, and I do have some ridiculous ideas that <laughs> for whatever reason don't work. But um, actually, it's a re this is why it works, this business. And whenever I'm talking about the Lunar Cinema, I'm always imagining that actually... I am just one small cog of this big machine because um, actually it's the, the other team around me that have made this 
is successful really you know and and actually i've i came up with the original idea and i'm still the mouthpiece and the 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 front man of it but actually it's the team that make it happen you know and they're the ones who actually every night of the week are out there putting the screens up and making it happen um they probably do say exactly that they roll their eyes and go what's the next hairbrain idea that's going to come out of his mouth <laughs> stay with me for much more for my brilliant business shape that's george wood founder and managing director at the Luna cinema time for music this is tenorio jr with nebulosa That was Tenorio Jr. with Nebulosa. I hope I said that correctly. George was my business shaper. Uh, he's the man behind Luna Cinema, as I said. And, and, and George, I mentioned this to you um, before we started chatting here on Jazz FM, that you know, when you become aware of a brand, it's suddenly like you see it everywhere. And I was on the tube the other day, and there's a big poster with Hugh Jackman popping out on the greatest show on earth and all that great showman and all that. Is there a buzz that you get from film? Because having been an actor, I imagine... You're not acting now, but there must still be that sense of what wonderful theatre makes and what wonderful film is about. Does it touch you in a way that other things don't? Uh, yeah, I suppose in a way. Um, or have you left that behind? Yeah, funnily enough, I'm one of those few, most actors who stop acting often end up being frustrated actors for the rest of their lives. You know, always sat in the theatre going, oh, that's the part I would have played. And, Not you, you know, though. And do you know what? I genuinely, and I know it's easy to say, but I genuinely don't have that feeling. And I've, over the years, I've thought to myself, well, it must be that I made the right decision to stop because um, I'm far more passionate about what I do with the Lunar Cinema than I ever was about acting. Um, I've got friends who are actors at the same time as me and they can't go and see certain films because they I can see them. I, I was in drama school with that guy, that Orlando, he's gone on to do all right. You know, all of that. And actually, I never feel like that. I genuinely don't. I think that um, the only way I can really quantify it in my head is that when I put these events on, I get a real buzz out of it and I stand at the back of the audience and I think they're having a great time. I can see. It's not like going to the cinema where a traditional cinema, a fixed location cinema, where you can't really gauge the audience um, enjoyment of the event until the end when they're walking out. They don't clap at the end. At our events, I really can feel that this atmosphere is brilliant. You know, and The Greatest Showman is a brilliant example of that because they're singing along, they're joining in, they are expressing how much they love this film and at the end, they clap. And... When they clap, I think I get the same appreciation for what I used to do as an actor from running the Lunar Cinema, and I never feel for one second that I'm missing out on the adulation of the crowd or all that rubbish. Yeah. Um, I, I get a bigger buzz out of this. And was it easy for you to make the transition from a very creative, expressive industry, which is uh, theatre, and I always think that actors are incredibly talented, clever people in a very specific kind of way, because it's yeah. very hard to jump into someone's head and, and body and all that, and that's why there are so few brilliant actors and lots of pretty average ones. So true. But, it, but did you find it, you, you have all that training, and then you become a business guy. Are you, have you learnt a lot along the way? Have you had to learn a lot, or is this all about your team? Or is it a bit of, bit of all of those things? A bit of all of that. I've had to learn an awful lot. I, I often look back on it thinking, oh, I should have done a business degree, really. That probably would have been uh, really useful for what I do these days, which is 
you know, far more about running a business than it really about being creative. You know, most of the job now is day to day running of the business. So um, it's a mixture of those things. With a great team, you can obviously achieve far more. Um, but yeah, I, I think does that answer your question? I think it's um, yeah. a, a combination of all those things. Um, and I've um, the main answer really is that I've learned on the go. I've had ten years now, and we're still you know every every day you come across obstacles where you think, I wonder if I could have done that slightly differently. But it's only by making these mistakes. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's only by making mistakes that we do learn. And I think we're now in a position where it runs relatively smoothly. When I was watching England play on Brighton Beach recently at one of our events, I genuinely stood at the back and thought, yeah, this is a great event. I would want to be part of this if I was a member of the public. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that we've got better and we're now in a position where it runs relatively smoothly most of the time. Fingers crossed. We'll have our final chat with my fabulous guest, a George Wood, and plus we'll be playing a track from Bill Withers. That's coming up next. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Bill Withers with Kissing My Love. George was my busy shaper just for a few more minutes. George, Luna is one part of your business. You've you've grown it. You've got Luna for kids, which I'm going to take my kids to this summer. Um, you've got Luna on the beach, yes. And then there's yep. a third bit, which is a different part of the business, which is the Friends Fest, which is essentially bringing to life my third child, my daughter, uh, loves, which is to to be the friend in the friends world. You do all those things. That's true. Yeah, I, I, I still say open air cinema is the day job, mm. um, and that's yeah. The lunar cinema is the main business that I work on. But actually, you're right. This year is the launch of two new brands, Lunar Kids, which I've been planning for three years, um, always with a view to. Uh, an, an awareness that we're not able to cater for a family audience with the Lunar Cinema. The sole reason being we show the film at dusk because mm. we're projecting even with the most powerful projectors on the market. You can't start the film in the afternoon. Everyone always forgets that and says can you do a kids matinee? And I would love to have been able to say yes over the last 10 years countless times. So what time um, will the kids stuff be at then? Well that's the great thing is that the technology has evolved oh. and the LED screens are now suitable for watching films. When I first was looking into it they were suitable for the odd horse uh, race replay at Ascot, but you couldn't, you wouldn't want to watch a two-hour film on them. It would hurt your eyes. Nowadays, the technology has improved so far that these LED screens are incredible. It's like watching a TV. Um, so I've been, I've been waiting for us to be able to afford one, but also for the technology to move to the point where I felt that we can present films in this environment, uh, and that's now the case. So we have invested in the highest definition LED screen in the country for outdoor use. Um, and so I was always planning this brand Luna kids and the idea is that it would be an environment where parents could take their kids to watch a film whether it's an old classic like The Lion King or Aladdin or you know a, a film that the parents are remembering from their youth mm-hmm. or bang up to date you know this year Paddington 2, Coco these great films that are released that we all go and see as adults and as kids and get and they work on all these levels I had this vision that I wanted to present these films in an environment that mimicked the open air experience from the lunar cinema but with all of the safety security and um, other elements that you look for when you're a parent and I'm a new parent um, 
got a 15-month-old little boy. And the thing I found that I missed the most when we first had this little baby was going to the cinema. Mm. And when we'd go, my partner, Beck, would say to me, um, I just what, what if he cries? What if he, you know, and obviously we're at baby screening, so it doesn't really matter. But that whole thing about feeling totally relaxed with the concept that you can breastfeed at any time, it's not an issue. You can take your baby out for a nappy change. The baby can cry and run around if it's a toddler. Anyth- anything goes at these screenings. And that's how I want Luna Kids Brilliant. to be. It should be a really relaxed environment. That sounds a fabulous idea. And as I said, I'm going to try it out and then I'll mm. come back and tell you. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. That's good. No, I'm, <laughs> gonna, I'm, I'm sure it's brilliant. And then just very briefly, because we're going to run out of time, the Friends Fest is, it, was it your idea or did someone come and say, help me make this happen? The second one, it was never my idea. This was um, Comedy Central, the TV channel Comedy Central, who screen Friends, came to me with this idea saying, look, we're celebrating the shows. Back then it was the 21st anniversary um, by rebuilding Monica's apartment. I said, what a brilliant idea. I loved Friends in the 90s, but obviously it's found a new audience. Um, So they said, yeah, and to celebrate that and to give the fans a focus for their affection for the show, which is clearly so evident, we're going to um, do it as a marketing stunt. Could you turn this into a, a commercial venture? And of course, my reaction was, you do know what I do. I run an open air cinema. Do you want to just hire a screen? Is that what you mean? And actually, it, as we started talking, I realised that no, they, they wanted us to co-produce it with them. So it was the Lunar Cinema's first foray into something else. Uh, and it really is something else. This is the ultimate immersive experience if you're a fan of Friends. You get to go have a coffee at Central Perk. You get to recreate the titles with the umbrellas dancing around the fountain. It's for any fan of Friends, this is, this is the so, ultimate you know experience. This is it's so, heaven. It's so dangerous for my, for my daughter. <laughs> Married, and this is going to be a problem once we take it once we are we are running out of time it's been absolutely fabulous talking to you i just i love the passion um and i love the fact that you've gone and done something about the idea that you had in your hospital bed fabulous stuff thank you so much Not just before i let you go what's your song choice and why have you chosen it my song choice is aretha franklin's version of let it be um I'm not quite sure why I've chosen it. I just love this song and I love this version of this song. It's obviously a song that everyone knows. Everyone always refers to the Beatles version, but I love Aretha's version. Um, I love Aretha's voice anyway, but on this version, it just makes, every time I hear it, it sounds just the right level of gospel and soul. And yeah, it's just brilliant. I play this record a lot, so I hope everyone enjoys it. Here it is just for you. In times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she's standing right in front of me. That was Aretha Franklin with Let It Be, the song choice of my business shaper today, George Wood. A totally engaging figure. Someone who said from the beginning, that's what I do, you better believe it. Someone with bags of enthusiasm and someone also who openly admitted, he said, you know, from a business point of view, I learnt on the go. Really, really good stuff. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or head over to mishkondorea.com forward slash jazz shapers.